it's good to see you all sitting down today. Uh, the last time I was up here, I was actually hosting and I forgot to tell everyone to sit down. So they remained standing until um, some people quickly hinted at me. Um, my name is Callum Oberholzer, and it's an honor and a privilege to be up here to proclaim God's word. Can I start off by praying? Is that all right? Um, King, I thank you that we can gather here today and listen to your word, Lord. I thank you for that privilege, King. And I pray now, Lord, that your truth would really, uh, it, would, it would permeate into our hearts and minds, Lord, and that you would root out any other lies that we've believed, Lord, that you would sit in our hearts, King. And today, you would um, reveal a bit more of yourself and your purpose to us, King, and how you've created us. Amen. Cool. Um, so we've been going through the series Transformed, as everyone might or might not know. And what the series has been about is we've been looking at our emotions and kind of digging a little deeper, sort of just below what's the surface of who we are. And um, kind of like a emotions are sort of like indicators like a light in a car or in a vehicle when you're driving and a light comes on and it, it indicates that something is perhaps not right. Or like the words, I'm fine in your spouse or a good friend. Uh, you kind of need to dig a little bit deeper because perhaps there's something that needs to be investigated. Um, and I've been asked to speak on uh, slowing down to live a healthier life. And as some of you may know, I haven't been too healthy over the last while. My mom and girlfriend will agree firmly in unison on this. I've been told to eat my greens, my whites, and my reds. And that's kind of something that I keep going in my head now when I make meals. Um, and to illustrate this a little bit further um, of not living such a healthy lifestyle, I had an accident um, while trying to fix my bike about six months ago. And what happened was I, I tried to pick it up. I tried to pick up the back wheel and put it onto a block so that I could fix the chain. And a long story short, I split two discs in my spine. And um, 15 minutes later, I was lying stiff in my bed with pain. Um, and I had to call Wazi. He's my flatmate. So he rushed up from work. He had no idea what to do. We're like, okay, let's, let's get a hot water bottle. That, surely that's going to work. So we, he stuck a hot water bottle under my back. And um, little did we know that that actually pinched the nervous system more and did not bring the soothing relief that we thought it would. Um, and then <laughs> Wazi was also in a little bit of a panic, and he said to me, this was his best medical advice, he said to me, Callum, whatever you do, don't close your eyes and don't fall asleep. <laughs> Stay with me. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I was like, Wazi, I'm not going to walk towards the light. It's fine. This is just a spinal injury. Um, and the, later on, he then also, because I couldn't move, he had to carry out a uh, iced tea bottle of my urine from the bedroom. Uh, it was peach flavored. Um, not the, not the, uh, mm. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> uh, and um, so we could say that our friendship was transformed. Um, sorry, I had to. And then some real doctors came and saved the day. Nathan Cairns. Um, they, they came, they took probably about four hours out of their day to come and help me. Um, Nate ended up moving me clockwise on my bed, and he like strapped me over his shoulders, and Wisey and him helped me down two flights of stairs, um, to which they loaded me into the SUV, and Cairns drove me to the hospital. 
um, where I had to spend a couple of days. So all in all, I was in hospital for a few days, and I was off work for about two weeks, uh, borderline three, two and a half weeks, and I had to have about three months' worth of rest. And I forced myself to try and rest, but it was incredibly difficult, and I got a lot of cabin fever at points, and even at work, I wasn't allowed to do any physical exercise other than walk. And I started to realize that this resting was incredibly difficult, and it wasn't just the practice of it, but there was something actually deep inside of me that didn't want to rest. It was kind of churning. Um, and I, was, I have been and still am incredibly challenged by this deeper sense of rest. Um, and so the question I'd like us to look at today is why are we unrested as a culture? And I believe that we can look at this in two parts. The first part, practically, uh, practically, why are we unrested? And the second part, why are we unrested spiritually or, inter- or internally? So let's have a little bit of fun digging into the text on what God says about this idea of rest in his scriptures. And um, if you would turn with me to Genesis 1, verses 3. And really, he gets straight to it right in the beginning in the creation account. So I don't know if it's, it'll probably pop up at some time behind me. Um, Genesis 1, verses 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Um, So I'm going to try to paint a bit of a picture. It's hard because there's nothing. It's the beginning of time and we're in empty space. But if you could imagine God, this being, and the word says that his logos went forth from him in the form of speech, of words. And in my mind, there's God's force and his essence, and it goes out and almost creates itself into a physical state called light. It is absolutely mind-blowing. And um, this is the beginning point of linear history as we know it. It's right in the beginning. And God stands back. And he stops, and he reflects, and he appreciates on what he has done, and he says, it is good. Um, And if we go to verse 10, um, God says, God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And then again in verse 12, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And so we see this repetition of what God does, is he creates, and then he stops, and he looks back, and he reflects, reflects each time, every day, right until the apex of creation, where he stops, and he rests. Um, and there we see in Genesis 2, verses 1, where God rests and he sabbaths. And it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of them, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. And what's interesting is this is the first time that we see the word holy being used in the Bible. And it's not about um, an object or a being or something he's created. 
It's about this finite resource called time and a portion of time called the Sabbath, one day. Um, And there's a Jewish scholar by the name of Abraham Heschel, and he says that we can relate to the Sabbath or look at it as a cathedral in time. So if you were to imagine a city called time, imagine the most beautiful building, the best building, not quantitative, but qualitative. It's incredible. And as you walk in, it's filled with splendor and glory. And the very essence of God is in the structure of this building. And this building is for the people of that city. It's a gift um, for them to appreciate God and what he has given to them. Um, So God really has written this idea of rest and Sabbathing into the very fabric and rhythms of creation. God rested himself. And so I'd like to say that rest is the prize. Um, it is the reward of work. And, um, and unrested people battle to appreciate and distinguish value. It's difficult, but arrested people can reflect and appreciate and understand value. Um, so I want to try and illustrate this as best I can. The, if you, I don't know who of you like the outdoors. I personally love it. And every time you climb a mountain or a hill or whatever you're climbing um, with height, you would probably stop once every couple of hundred meters and turn back, turn back and reflect on the view. <laughs> um, <laughs> lol. Um, <laughs> And every couple of hundred meters, you go and you go and you go and you get tired and you stop and you turn back and you're like, wow, this is incredible, right? And then you are filled. You, you gain perspective in that moment and then you are motivated to go forth. So you reflect, you gain perspective, and then you're, motiv- you're motivated to go forth again. And you do this iteratively as you climb this feat. And then when you get to the top, there's this incredible, breathtaking view that fills almost your very being. You're like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. This is what I did it for. And the view um, is the rest. It's the reward. It's the prize. And um, <clears throat> so I want to say that there's a divine balance or relationship between work and rest. Um, and it's very complementary. And we often see this in the character of God is uh, complementary things within him and in his creation. So a few examples of that would be um, male and female, complementary. Um, the Trinity, uh, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, different, but they complement each other and they're one God. Um, summer, autumn, spring, what's the other one? Winter. Um, <laughs> uh, very different but complementary. If we look at truth and grace, uh, truth is revealed to us through grace. We need to know and understand the one so that we can know and understand the other. They're complementary, and there's this, there's this balance. There's this wonderful tension almost between them. Um, so to understand the beauty of rest, you need to work. And to understand the beauty of work, you need to rest. So if God rested, then so should we. And I'm telling you, he is a lot more capable than we are. Um, just a little heads up. 
Convinced? Good. Okay, so let's try and figure out why we have an unrested culture. So I'm going to do a little bit of a poll. How many of you right now feel like you are well-rested? Can you please put up your hands? Okay. Cool. (laughs) All the students. Okay. Um, (laughs) um, How many of you look back at every day, at the end of every day, and think to yourself, what I have done is good? Can you put up your hands? Just good. Okay. Um, If you were to stop right now at this point in your life and look back to the point where you were born, how many of you would be able to say, what I have done is enough and it is good? How many of us at the end of each day collapse after working incredibly hard and then scramble again the next morning? And how many of us Oh, that's a, oh, there we go, that's a lot. <laughs> um, and then how many of us actually are able to, at the end of each day, sit back, reflect, and look at our day with contentment and appreciation? So um, I think that our current, broader, 21st century culture um, has not got this balance between work and rest very right. In fact, I think it's an incredible distortion of God's design. And which is strange because in the 1960s, social theorists said that by the 2000s, if we have innovated with technology and we have mechanized industry, um, that we should have conquered this, that we should have created, we would have got all the hard work done out of surviving, and the rest of time uh, in our days would allow us to relax and to be content. But here we are in the 2000s, and that, is not, and that has not happened Um, Even though we have created, uh, technology has surpassed in some sectors what people thought it would in the 1960s, and we have mechanized industry, um, but why aren't we rested, why aren't we content if we manage to even create more time? Um, And that's because we have filled it up, we have filled it with activities, we have filled it with um, more learning And we've kind of gotten ourselves into a perpetual cycle of more work, more understanding, and never being satisfied with ourselves. So we're pretty much obsessed with productivity and effectiveness. And um, this is something that social theorists didn't take into account. So I want to look at why we are doing this. And I've done a bit of research. I don't know all this stuff for myself, but a few smart guys do, like Tim Keller. Um, And... Our culture has not always been like this. If we look at previous cultures, uh, I want to point out a couple of icons who actually lived quite well-rested lives, but also changed the world in some small way. Uh, The first one being Einstein. Uh, E equals mc squared. And for the physicists out there, what he did is he actually divided his day into three portions, eight hours, eight hours, eight hours. So he would work for eight hours, He'd do whatever else he needed to do in eight hours, and then he would sleep for eight hours. And famously, he even said, I actually prefer to sleep for 10 hours. (laughs) Um, And he was also well known for playing the violin. So he would play the violin for long periods of time throughout his work and his rest. And apparently that's how he got his first wife. Um, True fact. Then we have Beethoven, who would go for long walks throughout the park, 
I mean, throughout his day in the park um, and in amongst his work. And then lastly, um, C.S. Lewis goes as far as to say that if you're working more than six hours, you're actually lazy. Why? That sounds a little bit contradictory, right? But he is saying that it takes time and effort to plan your day so that you can work for like intensively for a short amount of time, and then you can be creative and open-minded as well. Um, so these were guys in previous cultures who are actually, I think, getting it a bit better than we are. Um, Tim Keller, obviously, as I said, has researched this, and he's got four points or four cultural trends which he says lends to the busyness um, or the work-obsessed culture that we're currently in now. And I'll go through them very quickly. One is job insecurity. Uh, It's dramatically worsened in the 21st century, meaning that people need to work a lot harder to actually keep their jobs. Two, there's a gap. There's a massive gap now. Well, before, in previous cultures, the guy at the top of a company would earn about 10 to 20 times more than the guy at the bottom. Today, that gap has been stretched to 20,000 times in some of the big corporate companies in the first world. Okay? So now you've got to work a lot harder to get up that exponentially steep curve um, to earn something decent. Thirdly, technology. Um, Before phones and laptops... Work stayed at work. Uh, And that was the barrier between home and work, was actually the actual space and place. Now the barrier is purely discipline, because you carry your phone with you and your laptop, and work can become something that's, you know, 12, 16 hours a day, even with your family. Um, And then fourth and lastly, and this one's quite important, is... Cultural analysts say that traditional culture found meaning in family, whereas in our broader Western culture that is now sort of sweeping around the world for the first time, we are finding meaning. Um, We are defining our own meaning. We are defining self. We are defining our identity. That never used to happen. Um, And Tim Keller says that And he sums his points up in saying, there has never been a time where there has been so much pressure for work to be lucrative and fulfilling. One could say that we're a slave to it. Alrighty, how are we doing? Good? Rested? Um, (laughs) We're going to look at quickly now um, at one of the Ten Commandments, the fourth one, and this speaks about Sabbathing. So... If you could please page with me to Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. And a little bit of context here. Um, Jesus, uh, God has given Moses uh, ten commandments, which are basically laws um, written in stone for the Israelite people to differentiate themselves and to live differently according to God's law. And one of these laws, the fourth one, is um, on Sabbathing. And it says... Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
Um, later on in Exodus, God even says that the land needs to rest. And we see everything in creation has this written inside of it that it needs to rest and then work and then rest. Um, and at this point, God had rescued his people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And what that slavery looked like in part was working seven days a week. Uh, Pharaoh commanded that everyone worked seven days a week. And what he did, he was actually stripping people of their humanity and treating them like machines. Um, and it was an unjust system of oppression. This system would keep the poor poor, and it would keep the powerful powerful. And so what God did, one of the first things when he took the, Egyptian, when he took the Israelites out of Egypt is he broke that culture and he freed his people by saying, actually, on the seventh day, you will rest. And um, even though this is losing a full day of productivity, you will rest. And this was a rebellious act um, of God's people to the systems of the world at that time. All the other nations around them were like, this is ridiculous. These guys out in the desert, but they are resting on one of these days. No one else was doing that. And so God has called his people out of a worldly system, the systems of Pharaoh, into his freedom. Um, and during this day, the people would pray. They would spend time enjoying one another. They would rest in what it is to be freed in God, and they would appreciate what God had done, the story that he had done in their lives. So... If we now fast forward a bit to our culture, we see obviously quite a few similarities, I think. And um, there is a lady by the name of Judith Shulevitz, can't really pronounce that, I think she's Jewish, um, and she went on to say that she has looked at this sort of work beneath the work in herself. She's seen that there's something a bit deeper, and she calls it um, quite eloquently, the inner murmur of self-reproach. She's a writer. She likes to use nice words. But what she's saying is that there is something of dissatisfaction consistently within her, and she's begun to see this. Um, and so what she tried to do to combat this now was she went back to her Jewish roots and her, her childhood practices of Sabbathing. So she's writing for the New York, um, what is it, Wall Street Journal? New York Times, and decides, I'm going to find the closest synagogue, and I'm going to go there and join that community and actually try to Sabbath. Um, and then she goes as far, like, she's pretty secular by this point, um, and her friends think this is a little bit of a joke. They don't know what's actually going on. She's changing her lifestyle. And she says, for hundreds of years, it was firmly believed that, the only, that only a Sabbath enforced through social legislation would keep society from sliding into a kind of unwitting slavery, protecting the vulnerable from the powerful, and again, more big words, quashing the punitive, obsessive, compulsive who lurks within us all. And simply put, she is saying that rest needs to be written into society to save ourselves from ourselves. Um, I thought that was quite gnarly. Um, <clears throat> so here we are seeing that there's something a bit more deep-seated, something a bit more beneath this desire to consistently want to work. And um, as a man by the name of Thomas Keane once says, I paraphrase, 
only the Holy Spirit can reveal this to us. Um, the Holy Spirit is the divine archaeologist who is able to dig into us and through the layers of our lives and the history of our being into the very bedrock of who we are and our emotions. Um, and so that really is what this series has been about, is we are wanting to look beneath the surface at what's configured over there. And I think the Holy Spirit reveals to us a striving. It's that, that inner murmur or that, that work beneath the work. Um, and we inherently dislike our current state. We dislike, we're not satisfied with ourselves. And this is intrinsically exhausting. It is against God's natural design for us. And so I think that as a broader 21st century culture, um, we lack deep rest. We lack a deep, deep rest. And that is only found in our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the only source which can give us that rest, that fulfillment, quench that sort of, people tune me for saying this, but the inner recesses of our soul um, and bring fulfillment. And he has done that work beneath the work for us. And we see this in Luke 6, verses 1 to 5. This is the last verse. Um, And he says, On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful? For any but the priests to eat. And also he gave it to those with him. And he said, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is the Lord of rest. And firstly, Jesus is revealing that the Sabbath is a gift. That the Sabbath was made for man and that man is not made for the Sabbath. And he's saying to the Pharisees, actually, you guys are being legalistic. You guys um, are now a slave to this institution, whereas it was made for you. But then secondly, and incredibly importantly, when he says the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, I mean, this would have really rocked the Pharisees out of their robes and sandals because what he was actually saying is, I am God, and I am the God of rest. A deep rest that quenches what we've been talking about, the work beneath the work, the inner murmur. You can only find what you have been looking for in the structure of Sabbath and its fulfillment in me. So, In a sense, Jesus was also prophesying um, because he, at that point he actually hadn't completed the work. There was still a lot of work to be done. And he needed to die on the cross to complete the work. And so the Pharisees, the very Pharisees that he's talking to, actually bring to fulfillment that prophecy because they crucify him. And you can imagine on the cross, 
When Jesus is filled with sin, he is, he is filled with the wickedness of the world and everything internal that is completely broken with creation. God has to turn his face away from his son and Jesus sits there and he writhes in pain and he does the deep work, the deep brokenness um, for us all. He completes it. He destroys that inner murmur. And right at the end, his last words are, it is finished. And I think we need to understand what those words mean for our lives now in terms of our relationship between work and rest. It is finished. Um, This year, I have tried to force myself to rest. I've tried to put different things in place. But actually, while going through this text, I have realized that I fully didn't understand what Jesus was saying when he said it is finished. Because if it is finished, then there is no work for me to do deep beneath the other work. There is no striving needed for me. I have been defined. He has done it all. I can rest in the Lord of rest. There is a peace in that. And um, I think a lot of the time, I, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I'm capable of doing it all. And there were people around me and I was like, oh my goodness, these guys are more educated than me, he's not driving a motorbike or whatever it is, and I wanted to pursue more, and it was endless because actually I wasn't quite satisfied where I was. Um, But when we think we are capable of doing everything, we actually think we're God. And we are not God, and we are not machines. So we are not capable of doing everything, And we need to rest. Um, And for some of you, you might be working extra hard because you're trying to prove yourself. You're trying to reach some sort of standard or level of acceptance that is just completely impossible. And you can't do this without Christ. Um, Jesus has defined you. Jesus has defined you as a son and a daughter of God, and in him there is rest. And he replaces that, that deep work with deep rest, and it is beautiful, and there's an eternal poise of peace in our lives. Um, <clears throat> and then for those of you who are not followers of Christ, simply put, Jesus loves you, and God wants to rescue you out of the systems of Pharaoh, out of the systems of this world and the slavery, and he wants to take you out of that into the freedom and the rest that he has for you in Christ because actually he knows how he designed you and he designed you for a relationship with him and only in that will you find that deep sense of inner peace, of inner rest um, that he has called you to. And then lastly, there are some of you who are just in a, work, in a season of working a little bit harder, and you're collaborating with God, and that is good. But be careful because culture is so good at distorting that season and making it last for a lot longer than God actually intended. So it would be my advice to find someone who you're accountable with and say, you know what, actually for the next six months, I'm going to graft a little harder next year, next two years. Um, but when that time comes to end, stop me. Remind me. Is that right? Is that good?
Okay. Um, so in conclusion, I think that by looking at the text, we have answered why we are so unrested. Um, by looking at what the Bible has said to us practically, we have allowed ourselves to be slaves to an unjust system of oppression and um, to the Pharaoh of this world. And we have neglected God's design for ourselves by not applying a conscious, difficult habit of Sabbathing, of resting consistently. Um, And then spiritually, why are we unrested? I think it's because we haven't always understood what Jesus did on the cross when he said, it is finished. Um, And that is where we find our deep sense of peace. And the awesome thing is, is that you get to look at your life right now from this point to the day that you were born and say, I have done enough. In Christ, I have done enough and it is good. Because we get to view our lives the way God views Jesus' life. And that is incredible. That is worth shouting for. That is dope. Um, So lastly, as we end, I just want to give a couple of tips which I think um, are helpful with regards to application on how we become more rested. Firstly, we need to get into the habit of stopping in between our days consistently throughout work. Um, We need to appreciate and see the glory of God in what we are doing. And we need to take time out to be with God. Secondly, can I urge you, for the sake of the health of your soul, to Sabbath once a week, to take 24 hours and to rest and to appreciate God, to spend time in Scripture, in worship, and with family. And um, some of you, this might look a little bit different for you, uh, different days, whatever it means. Um, but a few little sub-points to that would be appreciate the body and the abilities that God has given you, the family and the people that He has put in around you, um, and perhaps create a culture of Sabbathing. Like, add some, if you're in a family, add some traditions. Uh, If you're single as well, add some traditions into what you do on a Sabbath and make it fun. Um, John Marcoma, who's a preacher in Portland, he says that they've taken five years as a family to try and structure how they develop Sabbathing, and they're only just getting it right. And on like a Wednesday or a Tuesday, his little son comes up to him and he's like, Dad, Dad, how many sleeps until Sabbath? I was like, that's so cool, because the children right from a young age actually looking forward to Sabbathing, to resting, to spending time with Dad, and to doing those fun activities, and also to worship God, which is brilliant. Um, And then lastly, to be uncluttered. I find social media a terrible distraction, WhatsApp, WhatsApp groups, in fact, just my phone in general. So some of you might need to actually just turn off your phones for 12 hours in a day, whatever it is, and be present. Um, is that all right? Cool. Thanks, guys. Um, and I close for us in prayer. <clears throat> Jesus, I thank you that you know each of us individually, Lord, and you know the season that we are personally in, King. And I pray, Lord, that we <laughs> help us use, help us... <laughs> receive this gift that you have given us, Lord, of rest. And how beautiful it is, Lord. It is the prize, my King. Help us to get into the habit of sitting back and appreciating you for who you are, for what you've done, 
for what you've um, and who you've placed in our lives, Lord. Thank you that we get that, King. Thank you that we are free and new and that you bring an eternal peace, Jesus, that all we have to do now is partner with you and your church until the day you come back, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.